Hello, and welcome to the Kicks Ass Podcast. I'm your host, John O'Landon, and in this podcast, we share excerpts from live, in-person SaaS growth events that I run in my hometown of Toronto, Canada. A little about me, I'm the founder and CEO of Hubly, a B2B SaaS company that helps private schools find new families to enroll and engage them throughout the entire enrollment journey. Basically, it's a CRM for private schools. In this episode, it's a recording from a recent panel discussion that I hosted and moderated at the Hubley head office here in Toronto on the topic of raising capital for a SaaS company. The panel included founders from two of Toronto's up-and-coming early-stage SaaS companies. One is Wes Moon, co-founder and COO of Wisely. The other is Roy Pereira, serial entrepreneur, mentor at Techstars, and founder of Zoom.ai. This panel discussion offers many great takeaways for anyone who has founded or is leading a SaaS uh, business and needs to raise early stage capital. We're going to jump right into this episode and I hope you enjoy the format and content we go through here. And I look forward to sharing future episodes with you from these live SaaS growth workshops. So yeah, thank you everybody for coming. Um, it's uh, it's it's an honor to have you all here. Um, it's a pleasure to be able to host you guys. Um, Hubly is uh, we're in the offices just upstairs. Most people don't know that there's offices in this building, but um, there are, and I get to use this facility. And I said, you know what, we should start doing some some events here and start building a community. Um, it's funny because just like one day I went on to meetup.com and I was look, looking for events for to like find salespeople, you know, to go do some recruiting and it asked me if I wanted to start the Toronto SaaS meetup and I said, okay, I just clicked a button and all of a sudden I had like 30 members. I was like, oh, okay, cool, I'm doing this. And I was like, you know what, I got a boardroom, I could do this. So, and that's how it started, you know, about six months ago and then Margie joined me and she's, uh, she, this is all her, by the way. Uh, she does everything, so thank you, Margie. Um, so, everybody, yeah, give her a give her a round. <coughs> so I'll just give you a little bit about myself. Uh, so yeah, I'm the uh, founder of Hubly. Uh, we're a, a B2B SaaS product. We uh, basically it's a CRM for small private schools, and um, and uh, yeah, and so uh, I I've been working in the sort of B2B space. Uh, it be you know sort of internet business solutions for about 20 years and uh, and I've you know been in sort of all areas of of uh, of, of management and um, and uh, and and but Hubly is the first company I've ever founded like I've I've done so many things for other companies uh, I've raised money for other companies uh, Hubly's actually basically bootstrapped till now and I'm just now personally, Really focused on raising money for Hubly. We're at a we're at a place now where it makes a lot of sense, and I'm currently like in like in the middle of getting term sheets and figuring out strategies. And I'm really you know I'm really excited to, to talk about this subject, but I'm much more excited to learn uh, from from the panelists here today. So, without further ado, um, actually w before we do, um, what I want to do actually is hear from from you folks. Um, Especially people that raise their hand when they say they've got, they've got a startup. Um, I'd, I'd love to hear about them. You know, so 
So what we want to do is pass the mic around and let everybody do their elevator pitch for, for what they're doing or what they're thinking of doing. And, uh, and so who, who's willing? Who's, who's ready to go? All right, so introduce yourself first and then you know, do your thing. So hi everybody, my name is Rads. I am the co-founder of a company called Jupiter, was formerly sales hire number two at PagerDuty, which I PO'd earlier on this year, and then also was a sales recruiter there. Prior to that, I had a few uh, startup uh, experiences as well. The, fa uh, the company that I'm founding is all focused on training um, female SaaS sales reps. There's a huge gap in the market. Um, Wes was just telling me that there was 12,000 open roles uh, in Toronto for sales alone. Uh, they're based in my own experience, not just it, any one company, but it's always been predominantly um, a male-driven team. So, and there's actually research that actually says women are actually better at sales um, than men on on average. So uh, that's my company. Um, if you want to chat about helping scale your sales team, let me know, and uh, I'll be right here. That's awesome. Thank you. Who's next? Who's gonna pitch? Come on, guys. If you want to be entrepreneurs, you gotta be ready to pitch. Okay. Hey, uh, my name is JC. My company is called Juicy AI. Um, my goal is to let small retailers and e-commerce owners to use algorithms uh, uh, that's, uh, uh, and data platforms that's used at Amazon and, and Shopify. Thank you. Thank you. Who's next? Come on. There was way more hands. There was way, here we go. Okay. Hi. So hi, my name is Shads. We have a company called Trusted Space, which helps you connect to your community and share and uh, exchange skills. So, uh, you know, thank you, John, for hosting this session and uh, looking forward to learn from, you know, all of you. Awesome. Okay, come on, who's next? Who's next? Who's got to come? Who's a, who's a founder here? Put up your hand. Who's a founder? Oh, here we go. All right. Hey everybody, my name's Russ Ward. I uh, run a company called Massively. Uh, we are a chatbot platform um, and we are rolling out a couple of different SaaS tools, uh, which is kind of why I'm here. Thank you. Anybody else? Last call. Last call. Oh, here we go. My man. I wanted to make you go all the way in the front before you come to the back. <laughs> Hi guys, my name is Sandeep and uh, I'm co-founder of a company, of a fintech company called uh, Remitter. Uh, so we are a B2B uh, platform. We're not like literally SaaS, but we're also SaaS in a sense that uh, we sell to businesses and uh, our product helps uh, business uh, owners send payments to their suppliers and employees worldwide uh, within just one day. Uh, so we connect with banks in Canada and banks worldwide to make sure that happens predictably and at low cost. He's getting good at it. Okay, so that was great. Thanks, guys. Thanks for taking part. And, uh, and Wes and Roy, come on. Come on up here. I'll let you guys introduce yourselves. We need some, some, some music when you guys are walking. It's a long walk. Okay, yeah, we get these mics turned on. There should be a button there. Hello. Yeah, so I'll let you guys introduce. You know, so please tell us, obviously, your names, we know your names though, and tell us about your company and, and, uh, and I think that'll kick us off nicely. I'm gonna go first. I'll go first. Uh, so my name's Wes, uh, my picture's up there and I still look like that, shockingly. It's an internet photo. Uh, my company's Wisely, I'm one of the founders. Uh, we started our company uh, with a prediction engine. Uh, 
We help charities raise more money, and we do that by predicting uh, from their past donor database, next gift amount, next gift date for every previous donor, and then giving the uh, fundraisers, so if we looked at U of T or SickKids, uh, a sales tool that would allow them to go out and use those predictions, engage with donors, and secure more revenue, more donation revenue. So we're doing something good in the world. We are a for-profit company, uh, in case uh, I had that question twice already tonight. Uh, and uh, we're at 111. We went through an accelerator program at DMZ. I noticed uh, Remitter, I think they're in there right now. Uh, and there's some other uh, DMZ alumni here. Uh, successfully raised a seed round and an angel round, so happy to answer your questions. Uh, Thank you. Are we clapping? No, no. Okay, okay. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so I'm Roy Pereira. I'm the founder and CEO of Zoom.ai. We are a Toronto-based startup. Uh, started about four years ago at 111 as well. And um, we've raised, I think, five, a little bit more than five million in seed. Uh, we target mid-market SMB companies with a meeting scheduling assistant that is AI-powered. Okay, so um, are we gonna? I mean, we, we've been applauding. Yes. Let's keep it going. And 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 so just for continuity's sake, let's let's hold the applause. I guess till the end. <laughs> now, just the. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's always good for our egos, but. Um, Okay, so uh, my first question for you guys is um, what attributes of, uh, you know, when, when investors were deciding to hand over all this money to you, what, what were the attributes that, that you think really, um, that, let's say of you, either you as the founder or a co-founder, what were the attributes of the team that made them decide that this was, this was a, a safe bet or a safe enough bet? So I, th I think you have to look at each phase, right? So the very first money in the door, um, friends and family, never take money from family. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> awkward Thanksgiving when you lose it. So take money from your friends or, or from uh, angel investors, but the very first time it's really all about your, you and your team, right? Hey, that's a great idea, but it, you know what? You're going to pivot five times. So it's not really about that. It's not about the business model. You're going to change that. Um, it's about how big of a problem that you're trying to solve, and do you have the right people that can actually solve that? So that's the very first, first time. Uh, and then the afterwards, it's different. It's like traction, especially in Canada. They're, they're going to ask you traction. Um, and so, like, do you have a large client? Do you have a large number of clients? Uh, do you have an opportunity to get more clients? Um, maybe it's not about clients. Maybe it's about users signing up, whatever. Whatever KPI that you have, do you have traction? Are you growing? So they're going to want to see that at the beginning. And team is definitely important, and it's going to be important until you get to a Series A. So it's all about hiring. So, so that... So that um That'll change in, in later stage, in later rounds? Yeah, so think about a continuum of team versus traction. That's really all it is. Those two axes. And when you start off, it's 100% team. Like you are selling the opportunity of the future success because you are who you are and you can do it. And you have to prove to them that it's you. And you know what? Your founder and like the other people that you have around you may not be with you 
in five years, but it's about you guys, right? Uh, and then as you go to like a series A and they're preparing to do a series A, you're doing 100K, 200K MRR a month, it's about traction. It's about how fast you're growing, right? And you don't need the 200K maybe if you're growing like 50% a month, crazy numbers kind of thing, um, but it's about traction and it's less about the people because those people can be replaced at some point. Okay, that's good to know. Wes, what, what do you think? I'd say the exact same thing, uh, and perhaps I'll tell a story about it. Uh, we, uh, as a company, um, needed some money uh, to quit our jobs. And uh, the first place that we went is the, the biggest player in the space. We went to some of their former executives that we happened to know because we also worked at that tech company and um, asked them for uh, what we call our angel round. Uh, we raised $150,000, so we flew down to Charleston, uh, and it, to a person, they all said, this sounds very interesting, I trust you with my money. That was our angel round. And uh, we did coincidentally take a little bit of money from family, uh, uncle type thing, uh, who understands the space. That you don't like. <laughs> Well, <laughs> it, I think they still like us. Uh, that's, that's the silver lining there. For now. For now, exactly. Uh, but we did um, quite honestly say to, uh, to the family members, like this is actually a, a true story, we're having a drink and we said, this is your Vegas money, right? Uh, and they agreed that this was just Vegas money uh, and they understood actually the risk of uh, investing in a tech startup that had um, absolutely nothing except for uh, two guys. Um, that was sort of like at the at the angel round, uh, and we leveraged that money to uh, build a product uh, and um, get some traction uh, for our seed round. And and I would say even at our seed round, um, we were probably early to it, uh, and it was um, predominantly team and competency. So uh, with every investor that we met with, they wanted to make sure that we understood. Uh, the fundamentals of running a SaaS business. Uh, like if they asked us if they, you know, a dozen questions like what's your CAC and uh, what, what's your uh, strategy around uh, marketing, et cetera. Uh, and with a solid business plan uh, and um, having some metrics and some traction, um, that was really the key there. But I would still say at Seed, uh, for us it was largely having a very competent team. Okay, that's great. Um, yeah, I think I think uh, you know raising money for different kinds of businesses uh, is you know uh, like investors uh, are going to be looking for different uh, metrics. So um, you know I'm not sh I'm not sure where everyone's experience is, but I think it's important to really understand like what what are the KPIs that SaaS investors are looking for, um, and and I think we should talk about that. So um, do you guys have any? Um, uh, I mean I think. Uh, I think it's a good idea just to kind of go through what are the standard uh, SaaS metrics that are really important to have in, let's say, uh, you know, a five-minute pitch uh, or your deck that's that's going to get, in, you know, like uh, you know, SaaS investors interested. You have to know, like you said, they're they're looking. Do you understand <laughs> what drives SaaS growth? So let's talk about that a little bit. Let's break that down. So, so uh, Roy, could you? Um, could you could you uh, yeah, give some? I love this. It's almost like um, Catch Twenty Two, right? So you're 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 finding, you're starting out a company, and you may have some customers, but you know a data set of three does not 
guarantee you accuracy yeah. at all, right? And so you go to a VC or an investor and they're like, what's your CAC to LTV ratio? And you're like, oh, well, uh, three divided by zero. Is that a number? No, <laughs> it's not. It's an invalid number. Um, and so sometimes, a lot of times, most times, at the beginning, you don't have those, right? So a CAC is cost of acquisition, right, for a user. So if you're buying ads and it takes you $1,000 to get one, there's your ratio. And then LTV's like lifetime value of that customer. So if it's take costing you $1,000 to get one customer and that one customer churns after a month and it's a $25 per month product, man, you are losing a lot of money. <laughs> so that's a bad ratio. But you don't know that at the beginning. Like you're just spitballing it. You're just experimenting. And so this is when like as an entrepreneur, you have to just sort of take out your lady balls or your man balls depending on what you have, and say, I don't know. I'm going to find out. Mm -hmm. you, know, you, you want to join me on my journey? It's too early, right? And so like, you don't have those numbers. And like, you're not an established company. You don't have you know, a million users coming in, right? Mm. And maybe you won't ever. Like, if you're targeting enterprise, you're not going to have those numbers. Your data set is going to be so small that you cannot find those numbers, even when you're going and you're generating a million dollars a year. You, you just won't. So, so is it about knowing how to you know, build a forecast based on the right kind of assumptions that you know, should be uh, you know, sort of good industry benchmarks and then having a good story as how you're specifically going to hit them? Yeah. Um, I think a lot of investors are not uh, professional enough. And what they read is, they, I need to know your CAC. And so they'll ask you, what's your CAC? Um, but they won't really understand how you, you're going to generate that, right? And again, like it leads you a lot of times to not being able to calculate it and to offer them an answer that they're happy with. And so you just, either you walk away because you know that they're um, not great investors and you're going to have problems with them in the future, you will. Um, or you turn around and go, you know what, my KPI that I really care about is X, right? And here's my user journey. Right? And so I can show you the funnel. And that's what I really care about. Because right? right now, I'm not generating any significant revenue. But here's where proving out the model. We're trying to take away friction from the user journey. And then eventually, we'll get to significant numbers that I could show you what the CAC is. But that's going to be like seed two. But as long as you're using AI and machine learning to make the world a better place, like no. what does it matter? That's right, bullshit. Just give, just give some money. Don't trust any company saying that. <laughs> I have actually heard, uh, I think we were in at uh, the BDC. Are you a .ai company? Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> Dot, uh, we, have, we have it. Uh, my CTO won't let us uh, put being, data there. Are, are you like <laughs> defending that choice now? I, I will say, uh, at the BDC, they told us that they were pitched that day by an ice cream company using AI. So there, there is some uh, stigma attached to it. To, to make, make the world a better place. To make more delicious ice cream. Yeah, well, I'm all in favor of it. Or flavor, I suppose. I'm sorry. Wow. <laughs> uh, what do you think about these metrics? Like, like yeah. So I just think killed the whole panel right there. All right, guys. <laughs> bye bye. The, some of the metrics that you're asked for, um, especially for the stage of your company, are generally um, unreasonable for you to know with any degree of accuracy. Uh, and we always use that opportunity to um, to tell a story, I guess. Like. 
uh, TAM is something that, um, no matter the stage of your uh, TAM total addressable market, uh, if you're raising funds, you have to understand your TAM uh, because that will um, either allow you to raise or not raise money, quite frankly. And uh, depending on the investor and how big they think, if, you're, if the TAM is in billions and billions, they'll tell you to go away. Uh, we serve the, the not-for-profit market um, to address the TAM question proactively, uh, which we learned over the first uh, couple of meetings was really important for us to do. Uh, we actually started with our industry, uh, we revealed the industry slowly. Uh, so we talked about uh, the scope of the industry being larger uh, than energy services in North America. Uh, we then talked about the number of employees and the amount of money spent in that sector. And as we revealed, uh, finally, it was not-for-profit, um, we had actually had proactively addressed that TAM question uh, with uh, some sort of backing and belief. And that, like, that was essential for us, and we learned it, uh, that we had to do that uh, by taking some early meetings and trying to describe the not-for-profit not sector as being particularly large. And, uh, and, in this, and an industry that has not yet gone through a digital transformation. So making sure that that opportunity or that TAM uh, for us was, uh, we made a story about it uh, to make the metric important. So basically what you're saying, Wes, is that you did not have the metrics, the traction, and so you obfuscated the answer and you <laughs> talked about TAM and you sort of made sure that they understood that there is a big enough market, is an opportunity, there's no one there, you're the only one kind of thing, right? That's exactly right. And that is a really good strategy that's used by everyone, right? Uh, raising money is not scientific. It's all about... Um, it, psychology. It's a, it's a mental game. It's yeah. a psychology, right? And so you are being a good politician in, in a lot mm -hmm. of ways. You're a good salesperson, and you're trying to get to their, whatever it is, their greed, uh, which is, a, I think, a lot of investors, but also small investors, what they really care about is that you have a great story and that they can tell your story to their buddies at the dinner table because that's all they care about. You give them back money, they're like, oh, I didn't even expect this. They're like, but I had some great dinners and I talked about you're cool. Mm -hmm. So you got to sort of understand what they're interested in um, and tell that story. Yeah, we... Uh I believe uh, in practice makes perfect. Uh, new to sales in a way, uh, or tech sales. Uh, I've now only been in tech sales perhaps for four years. Uh, before that, I was a uh, charitable fundraiser. Uh, in charitable fundraising, you tell stories all the time. Uh, you solve problems. So in a way, uh, you're in sales. Um, but we took a series of meetings um, just seeking advice uh, from people who we didn't think would actually invest in us, and they didn't. Um, but as a way to learn what people, how people would perceive us, what they cared about, so that when we did start to raise, we actually knew what we were doing. Uh, the first time you go talk to a venture capitalist, uh, it's, it can be a little nerve-wracking. Um, I had no idea actually what they cared about, which is why we set up those informational meetings uh, to figure out, hey, how do we do this successfully? Can you talk to a guy like Roy who's done this before and uh, learn from his mistakes? Absolutely, most founders will be quite generous with their time yeah, if you're raising I've done funds. a lot of those. Yeah, mistakes. me too. Me too. That's a good point, right? So like you never ever want to pitch your number one um, investor <laughs> potential first. You just like, it's that's wasting a bullet. Yeah, you have a couple of bullets. Mm. 
yeah. and you just go and you pitch people that you don't really care. Just to practice. But but on yeah. that note of, of advice, like somebody recently told me, and I, I thought this was, was pretty wise, he said, you know, if you want to raise money, ask for advice. And if you want to if you want advice, ask for money. And uh, so I took that, I was just at SAS North, and I took that uh, strategy, and um, um, and I think for the most part it worked well, but then the one person that uh, I actually thought I had the best chance of walking away with a term sheet, I went in with the in the position of asking for advice, and he basically told me everything that I should have said that I would have said had I just given him my pitch, and I realized that was a mistake. So it's like it's pretty hard to to really know, um, you know, when the right time is to take the right you know approach, um, but. Uh, I, I think the point is that there's a, a lot of luck. I don't really believe in luck, but there's a lot of things going on sure. that you don't have control over, mm -hmm. right? So you walk into a room and there's someone sitting over there and you don't know if they had a shitty morning. Uh, I'm not allowed to say that word. Um, or you know, if they've been looking at your industry, if they just got rejected by one of your competitors, like you don't know so many things. And so like you go in and you're trying to like a good AI in your brain and you're like, I pitched 10 VCs and what's the commonality and like how am I gonna make my pitch better? And that's good, but you also don't know what's going on in them, right? And so a lot of times I found that when I walk in and I get success, um, you know, maybe my pitch is better than it was the first time, but it's also like what have, what have the, uh, the other side have gone through? Right? They were looking at this space. They were looking at all of the other players in this space. Um, and so that you don't know. It's, a, it's an unknown variable. So basically, keep trying. Yeah, right. just keep trying. Yeah. And you know, every, a lot of times people think like, oh, there's some, this guy you know, had this overnight success. But really, it's about continually doing, you know, putting yourself in uh, pr preparing and preparing and preparing and preparing, and then just you know, putting the time in and then being in the right place. But it, without, without that constant preparation and, and, and testing and everything, you'll never, you'll never have that, that moment of opportunity and be ready for it. Yeah, so like I, I have spreadsheets and I have CRMs that I use to uh, track fundraising uh, each of my raises. And um, the spreadsheets are really clear on how maybe bad I am because um, they, they typically have about 100 rows. So I've talked to 100 different firms uh, to get that one lead. So that's sort of like the ratio. And so I thought that that would not be the case. I've, I've, um, I've gone through a couple of exits. I've worked in the Valley. I've done all sorts of shit. I can't say that word. It's okay. Um, go ahead. And uh, I'm still doing like shit. 100 rows um, per first um, investment. And that's sort of what you have to do. It is a numbers game in a lot of ways. You don't know. Um, like, you know, you go pitch one VC and you're like, you guys are perfect. You love this industry, you know, you know me, whatever. And it's not like they're busy doing something else. Like you don't know what's going on on the other side and you just, it's a numbers game. And you just keep going. And that's why we're all entrepreneurs, right? Because other people out there aren't gonna put up with the crap that we have to put up with and the long hours. Okay, Wes, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think like that 100 to 1 kind of makes sense, or I think ours was 60, something like that. We talked to 60 different groups. Oh, he's uh, better than you. What, uh, it's not a competition. <laughs> yes, it is. Well, what, what we did find interesting, uh, again, in the beginning, uh, we knew we were talking, uh, the first group of investors that we talked to, we knew we were too small for them. Uh, we did that on purpose. Uh, but over time, we actually figured out 
um, the right kind of investor to talk to. So even if you look at their website, see what companies that they've invested in at what stage, um, you can um, greatly reduce uh, the amount of time and effort going into securing these VC meetings with people that will never actually uh, invest with you at this stage. Um, I personally feel like it is the uh, goal of every venture capitalist firm uh, to understand what's out there uh, and then say, um, keep in touch, send us your newsletter, <laughs> so what, when the time is right, we will reach out to you, uh, which can be a, um, a long process of uh, effort and time on your part uh, that's just be more targeted uh, with your time and make sure that uh, the people that you're attempting to talk to um, make investments like you at with the check size, the right kind of check size. If you ask for, ask for the wrong check size, uh, you get kicked out of the room. Yeah, what's the first question that you ask, right? Do you have an active fund, right? Like there's so many filters that you, you need to go through. Because you're right, like that 100 could be f 10, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and uh, we actually um, also found some success in going to early and late stage funds. Um, we found uh, if, a, if a fund was early, they really wanted the meeting, they would move quickly. Um, if the fund was at the end, they would give you a fast no. So at the beginning, though, so we're talking about VCs, right? So VCs typically come in after you get some traction. Um, can I ask a question? I'm, I'm going to ask. Please, a question. yeah, go ahead. So, how did you find like your first angels coming in? Right? Was it just your friends and family? Were those the angels, or because that's uh, a very different thing? Like, you don't really have like a checklist. Ain't, ain't, uh, so our angels, uh, all every angel uh, with the exception of one was found through networking. Um, so we just talked to people, told our story, uh, and. Um, and we talked to people who understood the industry and understood technology. Uh, and also we talked to people who like to play golf because they're somewhat wealthy. Uh, so like that was quite frankly like our strategy uh, to, to find our first money. We had a nice story. Uh, we had an MV, like we built an MVP. So we had something to show people. I think that was uh, key. Yeah, and uh, recently I saw, you know, somebody gave me some advice like just, you know, w when you're, Doing that networking, trying to find like high net worth individuals um, that might be able to do like you know twenty five thousand dollar checks type of thing, and it's no sweat for them um, to focus on people that are you know business people, entrepreneurs, developers types, as opposed to um, you know professionals that just have a lot of money. Um, and 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 you know I, I just I don't know if this resonates with your experience, but the the idea behind it was just like you know. Folks that are, you know, in, in, in financing or doctors or whatever, they, they, they have this, you know, they have a lot of money that they can spend, but they seem to be very analytical and, and very risk averse as opposed to like an entrepreneur that kind of, you know, is a, a, lot, a lot looser with the checkbook and is just kind of not so much, it's not so much about metrics or, or, or business plans. It's just like, do I like this guy? Do I believe in him? You know, you know and, and I guess they can kind of, they can see themselves in you a little bit. Yeah, I mean, if they ask you when you're going to go um, and turn a profit or something, right, because they're giving you 25K or they're asking you for dividends or something like that, then they're like, no, they're not an angel investor uh -huh. that you want. Yeah, we, we stayed away from anyone that was conservative like yeah. that. Um, uh, half the people, um, their former profession was sales. Uh, and salespeople basically gamble for a living. 
uh, for their paychecks. No? Okay. Are, are, there, are there salespeople here? Yeah. Aren't we all salespeople? <laughs> I think in this room, yes. And so, and so, um, and so, there's, there's obviously a big difference between angels and um, and is so. There, there's kind of three stages: angel, seed, you know, Series A. And uh, w let's let's talk about those differences because um, because you know I think the approach, like we just talked about, with with getting angels is going to your personal network, reaching out, getting, trying to get some meetings. Um, but when you move into seed, they're, they're getting, it's getting more serious and institutional. And um, so, so what's, what's the approach there? Like, how do you uh, tactically set, set up, you, like, what, what do you do day in and day out when, when you're like, okay, I'm going to build that list of 100, you know, 100 uh, folks to reach out to? How do you do that? Like, what tools are you using? What's your day like? How's it break up? Sure. So um, I think relationship, and I think you mentioned that, Wes, relationship is key because they are trusting you with their money, right? And when you get beyond the angels and the friends and family, you're getting into more institutional money. So they are VCs, but they're smaller funds. So they have like $25 million fund. That's small. And I think it's really super important to understand how much money they do have with size because it determines on how much you, can, you should ask from them because there's uh, a math issue there but um, so you have to build up that relationship before you're ready to take their money and whatever you tell them um, you should understand that they're going to tell everybody else in the city especially in Toronto it's a small small investor community here so they all have dinners every month they all like laugh about us and and mention what we tell them and so forth um, and if so they're expecting to hear from you yeah, they are. Uh, they all know what's going on kind of thing. So anyways, if you're going to say, knows? hey, I'm going to double my revenue or I'm going to double my page views or whatever, you better damn make it. Uh, and so that's how you build rapport, right? Mm. And so make sure that whatever you're telling them is appropriate, you're going to make it, um, and then just keep doing it. And then by the time that you're ready, you hit that certain number, you can go back and go, hey, I've done all the things that I told you I was going to do. I'm going to execute. Because right, execution is really key. There's a lot of talkers. There's a lot of entrepreneurs out there. You know, being in the startup. Not in is this cool. room. Not in here, of course. Yeah. Um, and so that's how you get rapport with them, right? And if you build up that relationship, when it comes time, they'll be there because an investor is your partner. Should be your partner. If you have an investor that's not a partner, that's it's a bad investor, right? You need someone that will back you, that trusts you, that enjoys being with you, and vice versa. Yeah, like with with our lead investor, um, they said, "Come back when you have uh, these like the next two months of successful sales that you said you were going to do." We came back; they invested, like they they wanted to see that first. Yeah, and then it, and then it was done almost immediately. Okay, that's smart. And so, and before that, like you were you were just. You had you didn't have sales like or you just no had... well I mean we were we were early I think uh, going for a seed uh, and they wanted to see a little more traction they said well you have projections can you hit them yeah that literally happened and we went back and secured our investors okay well that's uh, doing what you say you're going to do is doing what you're pretty saying. important so, so don't don't go in there uh, and, and making making big you know, big statements and big promises that aren't actually within your grasp. So certainly within the next 
quarter or something. Exactly. Yeah, especially in the short term. I mean, I think you still have to sell a, a long-term vision um, where all the stars have to align for you to achieve like the billion-dollar unicorn type thing. But uh, you do have to have something realistic over the uh, coming months because that's how long the relationship uh, is going to uh, evolve. Um, you know, you don't end up with a million, two million, five million dollar check overnight. There's paperwork, due diligence. Uh, meanwhile, you're still running your company and you're executing. That's at the C stage for us anyway. Yeah. Yeah. On that note, I mean, because uh, I, I know that I've, I've been, uh, um, so Hubbley's been bootstrapped till now, but I've, I've sort of flirted with fundraising at different stages and uh, I've, you know, sort of dug into it and, uh, and then, uh, you know, like when I did it in the past, I was still kind of operationally managing every area of the business, and it was like incre—it was incredibly hard to even think about the time it takes to do fundraising. So, so how? Um, let's talk about it a, a little bit. Like, I'd like to hear from you guys how you've balanced um, being a, a business leader, an entrepreneur, uh, uh, with people that you're responsible to lead, and you know. With also going out and doing raises, what what are those what are those phases like? Like you know, do, do you have you know? I'll, I'll let you guys answer, but I just what, love what's to hear balance? <laughs> balance, yeah. Yeah. What is that? What is that word? Um, so we're we're doing a, a little bit of a round right now, and I mean, like my all of my time is taken, right? And um, when you do a larger round, all of your time is completely taken. Like you don't see your employees, you're not part of the company. And hopefully you have good employees, good team members, good senior people that can run the company because you're not running it at all. And if you are, then you're not going to um, raise, basically. Because you really need every, um, every neuron in your brain to really sort of focus and to understand what the other person on the other side is thinking about. Um, and uh, that's your job, right? I'd say um, for early stage companies, you really don't choose your venture partner, they choose you. And you have to really consider that about going all in. If you're only doing this part time uh, or you're not really committed to the raise, uh, you're gonna lose to someone who is. That's, it, it's a race. I would say in the United States, um, my perception is that it, that is a little bit different if you're in the Valley. Um, there's more competition for uh, within the VC community to actually place money. Uh, and they're willing to take larger bets uh, because that's available to them. So let's talk about that a little bit because that, that's a topic, you know, we were chatting about it a little bit earlier. Um, I know from my experience, um, when I was flirting with raising money and not putting in the full-time effort that it really took, um, I, I, I remember meeting with some angel, angel groups here in Southern Ontario and saying, you know, I'm looking for 600K because I was trying to be reasonable. And they said, ah, you should be, you should, you only need like 300, you know? And I was like, what's that based on? Like, here's a four, you know? And then I take the same deck and I go to the valley and there's, they're like, 600K, what are you, an idiot? You need like 2 million, like, get out of here, you know? And it's just, it's so different, you know? So, um, so how, how do you guys approach that and like that, that sort of, like the drastic difference of, I mean, it can really, th you know, throw you for a loop if, if you're not prepared for that. Yeah, I, I did it wrong. Uh, so I went down to San Jose to Saster 
um, set, lined up a bunch of meetings, even with angels. Uh, and I continue to talk to one of the angels based out of New York, uh, who like his minimum check size as an angel is a million dollars. <laughs> and uh, I, we were only looking for 1.5 million, uh, and that just wasn't um, worth the effort of due diligence for, for the firms there. Uh, and so it's a, it's a vastly different perspective. Um, they place more bets, uh, but also they're hoping for like the thousand X uh, on one of those bets. And each one of the bets that they make, uh, you know, they, they wanna bet that every single, every single one, they probably do some sort of assessment that says, could they be worth potentially over a billion? It's just like a yes or no. Uh, I would say in Canada, uh, we're a little more conservative. Uh, you know, even a couple hundred million dollar company is pretty good up here. Uh, and, you know, they, pe bets are placed on that. Yeah, I mean, there's so many differences, uh, as you pointed out. Um, when you go here and you t tell a VC, you, I'm going to do X, X has to be reasonable. Um, when you say the exact same thing to a US VC, they're laughing at you. It's like, I've seen 10 companies just today that say they're going to do 100 uh, X. Right, so why you, right? And that's one of the things that differentiates Canadians from Americans in a lot of ways. We're much more pragmatic, down to earth. Americans are like, fuck yeah, I'm gonna rule the world, right? And that, that's what they're accustomed to. And so when you're pitching them, you have to think that way. There's no way that they're gonna invest in a Canadian company with us speaking Canadian, right? So um, I- Sorry. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, they think it's funny. Um, so when, when I was raising um, with Shiny Ads, which is the, the last uh, startup, I had two decks. I had a Canadian deck and I had a US deck. Um, and the US deck was basically, the only difference was the amount that I was raising, right? And it was like a lot more, um, to your point. Now, they think that it costs a lot more because it does cost a lot more, say, in New York or Silicon Valley, the cost of employees, is tr and cost of living is huge compared to here. Um, and I think the other difference too is that when you're pitching a Canadian VC, in their head, they're thinking about all the ways that you can fail. And they're trying to strike them down, right, until they get to zero, right? To an American VC, they're thinking about all the ways that you can get to be a unicorn, like that thousand X, right? Uh, and so it's a very different style like one is risk adverse and you're trying to like, no, Google's not gonna come and do the same thing, right? Can they? Of course they can, but they're not. Uh, whereas the other one is, I'm gonna be the next fucking Google, okay? <laughs> and you gotta prove that. It's such a different style, right? Yeah. I'd also say that follows through in how you're managed. So uh, I've talked to um, US backed um, firms and they're pushed to like get to a thousand or fail really quickly. Yeah. Uh, and in Canada, uh, our partners help us, help us live, I would say. Shred zombies, that's exactly. all I have to say. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a really good point, actually. So they will definitely terminate you, um, liquidate their portfolio that's not uh, going to be a thousand X very quickly. So you have to be really careful. Anytime you take money from an investor, there's risks. Anytime you take money from a VC, there are more risks. Um, what do they want from you kind of thing, right? You have to think about that. Money is not free, right? Um, you know, so 
Um, yeah. Does anyone have free money in this room? <laughs> so I, I think so the other thing, sorry, the other thing that I was going to say as well was the, the size of the fund, to your point. So American VC funds are typically larger than Canadians. So if you have a $25 million fund here, like you have uh, Ripple Ventures, which is mm -hmm. one of your investors, has about that in their fund. Um, so typically like a small cap uh, fund. So they're, they, the math for them to, to make a return on that is different than a fund that has 125 million, right? And when you look at the funds in the States, they normally have a lot more than Canadian funds do. And so if they have 125 million, are they just gonna give the same check size that say a Ripple would, but like multiply that out by like 100? No. It's a lot of work. They're gonna give a lot more money. So they're gonna give 10X the money and still have the same number of investments. So when you go in there and you ask for 600K and they're like, I don't even know how to write that. I'm like, I'm writing $6 million checks. That's my minimum check size. Because the math doesn't work for me, right? Because I have a billion dollar fund. I, I need to return 10X on a billion dollars. And if I'm giving you 500K and if you make it big, right? I'm getting 10X and that's 5 million? Yeah. That's nothing yeah. compared to my 5 billion. Right. And they have plenty to choose from, otherwise. I, I, with, I, I within, think that's the other size. issue, too. Yeah. So uh, I, I may be controversial here, but I think that Toronto has a lot more deal flow than most other places in, in the world. And this is why you see VCs from the Valley, from New York, from Boston coming here. Boston especially, they don't have enough deal flow anymore. Right, but you're seeing um, VCs from both New York and the Valley being very interested in Toronto. You're seeing VCs from Minneapolis coming up here because they have because they get a, they also get a great conversion. Like it's good for them. They do, and we could talk about that. But I think it's really the caliber of opportunities here and the amount of of great deals that they can have. And even in Silicon Valley, um, there is a lot of companies who go there, but there's also a lot of noise and there's a lot of competition. What do you guys think about these programs like Techstars or Accelerprise that, um, you know, want to bring you to the U.S. and do a roadshow, but and they're going to give you a little bit of money, but they're going to take some points off your your business. And of course, that means different things at different stages and of, of growth. Um, have you guys ever considered those? Have you done any of those? And, and what are your thoughts? Is, is it worth giving up the the equity? With, I mean, with I can I can imagine a number of scenarios where it's worth giving up the equity uh, to make a larger piece of pie. Uh, or a larger pie. Uh, we went through the DMZ, so an accelerator program. The accelerator program was amazing for our business. Uh, we all learned a lot, um, and certainly um, many things came into deeper focus for us, but I would say the most important piece of it is that it validates to potential investors that you're a real program, uh, a real um, company that's been vetted by someone else. So from that perspective, I would say giving up uh, a piece of equity, uh, depending on the size, totally worth it. Yeah, even for Zoom, um, when I started three months in, I, I got a phone call from Accelerprise and I got a phone call from Betaworks out of New York. And I actually took Betaworks and um, I didn't feel like, you know, I, I, I needed their advice, but what I needed from them was network. Mm -hmm. I didn't know anybody in New York. It's a great place to know people, a lot of money there. And also, they were the first money in, right? And their terms were fantastic because there was a, it was a US VC. And in fact, I couldn't get any Canadian investor to come in on those terms. So, like so, so how much did they give you? 
Um, if I can ask. If yeah, that's yeah. Okay. Um, so they they gave me 200k US for eight percent of the company, and also that included uh, going through their accelerator, which was fantastic. So that allowed me to hire my first staff um, and get into market. Basically, I know um, Accelerprise just launched in Toronto. Uh, very interesting backers, Box and Cisco, uh, out of the Valley. Their their terms aren't as great. They're not as good, yeah. No. <laughs> uh, and I know, uh, so I'm a, a mentor at Techstars here in Toronto, um, the PropTech um, Techstars as well, um, Founders Institute. And they're all good for different uh, stages, right? So Techstars has a great name, right? You go through Techstars, and if you have something interesting, you should be able to get funding pretty well. Yeah, it's a nice gold star. It is, and to your point, what you said I think was interesting because, let's face it, uh, investors are lemmings, right? They're, they're what? Lemmings. Lemmings. That's an animal. Look it up on Google. Yeah. So, sorry, not. The, but you know, <laughs> they basically follow the other lemming in front of them, right? And you have to find that lead lemming that will that will jump into the water. So lemmings are these animals like on an ice floe, and they they go around in circles until one of them falls off into the water, and then they all look over and see if there's a shark that's eating them, right? So they're all scared about taking that first step. And that's the th same thing. They're all scared about taking the risk on you. What if they lose their money, right? And so they're all waiting for like that lead investor to take the bite, and then they're like, oh, I'm in. Right, and so you you have to um, you have to find that first one. Yeah, your first term sheet is the most important. Yeah, and in fact, when you're raising, you're basically there's two phases, or at least two. One is to find that lead, and like the like, and to your point, like you can go through a hundred, and as soon as they say no, you're like you're dead to me. I'm moving on, right? And even if they say yes, but I'm not interested in leading, you're like I'll get back to you later. Right. So, and, and does does the lead, it, like the quality of the lead, uh, play an important role in, in getting the lemmings to jump on board? Yeah. So if if they don't have any respect from the community, then you don't have anybody following them. So it's super important to get a, a good caliber lead. But I like what you said before that investors will choose you, and that's very very true. Like there is one match out there, or maybe more, but they they have made the decision that they want in, into whatever you're building, um, and you just gotta like get there and, and, and not screw up. So do these programs, like Accelerprise or Betaworks, do they act as a lead? No, they give you a gold star. Okay, like so like it, does, it does yeah. lend to credibility. It, it just helps your credibility. Um, they're good programs. Mm -hmm. Some of them are good programs. Um, and so they teach you what to do. Um, as a mentor, I see the first pitch, and I see the pitches progress, and then I, I like there's a demo day for Techstars, PropTech coming up. Those are going to be phenomenally professional, right? And so the transition that the founders go through is very, very valuable, for sure. And then you have the gold star. You can say, I, I went through uh, PropTech, uh, Techstars in Toronto, and now I have a deal with Collier's. That's the other thing that you can get with some accelerators. Accelerprise, like I said, has good relationships with Box and Cisco. Uh, the PropTech Techstars here has um, is sponsored by Collier's. So if you're doing PropTech, 
there is a great customer right there for you, your first big customer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so you know, I've asked a lot of questions here. Um, I'm wondering like, what question do you think, uh, I, what's, what's the most important question I haven't asked that, uh, that you think these folks need an answer to? I mean, one of the questions that uh, I asked other founders is, uh, how do you start? How do you start fundraising? Uh -huh. uh, and uh, generally, uh, the first answer was, pick up the phone, uh, let me introduce you to someone, uh, or here's someone that might think this is interesting, uh, and that's essentially what we did. Yeah, I mean, that warm intro into a VC is so critical. If you think that you're going to cold call or cold email a VC and get in, it's not going to happen. And don't show up in their office unannounced. <laughs> it's like security. <laughs> I have witnessed this before. <laughs> I literally thought about doing that. <laughs> so don't do that yet. Don't do it. <laughs> it, it. In this digital world, it's so weird to like have a physical presence and have someone there. And it's like, no, 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 no. I don't even want to see your, your pitch. Just go away. Yeah. Find someone that knows me, that I trust, yeah. to, to intro you. Yeah. And that's a lot of research, right, before you pick up the phone. And that's why I think the value of those, those programs that are making those intros and putting you on a roadshow yeah. seems to be there. Uh, exactly, and that's why I went through Betaworks in New York, because they made those intros. Um, but if you don't have them, Crunchbase, LinkedIn, right. like, all the data is there. Yeah. And when you're looking at, uh, when, when you go to Crunchbase and then you go on it, like, who is the right, how do you pick the right person in the fund approach because you don't want to carpet bomb everybody I'm assuming like, how, how do you pick the right person yeah so you are going to be um, partnered up it's almost like dating you're going to be going out with trying to get someone interested in you and it's a person it's a human it's not a firm the firm does not invest in you the partner at the firm invests in you and it's all about relationships, right? They ha you have to like them, they have to like you, they have to trust you, that sort of stuff. Uh, and you typically are going to ha need a champion. Uh, the champion is often an analyst, uh, but you need to understand which partner uh, you're targeting, uh, and sometimes partners have their own analysts. Uh, but an analyst, uh, in many ways, like does a lot of work to understand your business and help the partner understand it, uh, but it is the partner who you're selling to. Not all partners care about what you're doing, right? So you have to find the right partner at, at the right firm. So if VCA has invested in your industry, um, you still have to do homework to find who inside of that VC invested in, in that industry. Right, and can you get that info from Crunchbase or? Yeah, totally. Um, you can also just look at their websites a lot of times, right? Mm -hmm. you, you can check out their portfolio and normally you'll have the partner um, you can look at who's on the board yeah. uh, at later stages when they ask for a board seat. So all of that information is there. Yeah. Is, is there any way to fast track that that process? Is that just a lot of a lot of research, a lot yeah, of yeah, just effort, really. Yeah, just concentrated effort. Yeah. There's an AI for that. Is there? No, there's. <laughs> I'll pay was, for it. If it was easy, anyone would do it. Yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen. Um, I think what we'll do is, is op open up to questions now. Um, as much as I like the sound of my own voice, I'd love to hear you guys. So Margie, I'll, I'll hand the, uh, the mic, to Mar mic to Margie and she'll bring it over to you. Yeah, all right. Okay, so um, let's start with you. How 
what are the differences between your, how you're pitching an angel round versus a seed round? So I guess like a pre-seed round versus angel round. Like what does that deck look like? How are they different? Like what are you covering? Like if there's like five slides on each, like what would you include? So I, I think one of the issues that we're in today is that the names of the rounds are all screwed up. <clears throat> and so five years ago, um, a seed would be like 250K. And then um, you know you'd go up and you'd raise a Series A and it'd be five million dollars and be like wow that's a lot of money. And today you're like we raised five million dollars in a seed, and so is that still a seed? Um, and so these names it's like pre-seed and then seed and then you have a seed two and then maybe you have a seed extension because you know what you you haven't got this A yet. Um, and then so once you get to A and you do B and that's pretty simple, but the the numbers have all sort of gone up. Um, and so I guess my point there is that pre-seed and angels are, the, those amounts are similar, and so your deck's gonna be similar. It's about people, 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 and we can do it, right? And it's a big market, TAM, right? And it's really exciting stuff that we're doing, and we know uh, what we're gonna do. And then next after that, when you do your seed, or whatever you wanna call that, you're gonna raise a couple million bucks, you have to have traction. Right, so that, again, the continuum changes, the percentage that you spend on team versus traction gradually changes. Yeah, uh, to say it a slightly different way, um, at the early stage of your company, make sure that the people you're talking to understand the problem and how you're going to solve it or how you propose to solve it. Uh, and you won't have enough data to say this is exactly how it's going to go. And you may actually change it. And likely, right? yeah. So, yeah, or a little bit at least. <clears throat> Yeah, I would say that you need to really focus on the problem space, right? So is it interesting to the investor? Is it big enough? Is it going to grow? How are you going to fix it? That's an implementation detail. <laughs> the problem is the most important. Yeah. It also helps uh, determine the TAM, which they care about. And most of your, perhaps some of your uh, early stage investors won't actually even know that term. They just need to know that it's a really big problem that people will pay to solve. And Tam is bullshit anyways. You just make that up. Come on. Right? <laughs> I, I do, yeah. In yep. a sense. Yeah, we all do. Yeah. All right, next question. Um, uh, hi, my name is Fatima. Uh, I'm curious about uh, dilution. Like you talked about the different levels, uh, different stages and everything of fundraising. Like what do you think is an appropriate amount for let's say like your average Toronto SaaS company? at like angel, like C, Series A, like how much equity do they give away? To, to give away and like everything for how much money, for example. Like I'm just curious. Uh, so the general thought is that every round should um, be at maximum 25% dilution. Um, it's a lot, uh, even at angel. But the thing is it's just math, right? So you're like, hey VC, I don't wanna give you 30% dilution because like some guy up on a stage said that 25 is the maximum. Um, and they'll be like, all right, sure, but I'll just give you a lower valuation. So it's just like a mathematical ca calculation, right? And, and it's just negotiation. Um, there's a lot of issues in terms of valuing yourself too high. Your first raise shouldn't even be valued. You should just have a, a safe. Uh, which is like a convertible note. 
it's like, I'm, I don't know how much I'm valued. I don't even have revenue. I'm just like, there's this problem and I'm gonna go and solve it. I have no idea. And so how do you put a value on that? So you do a safe and then once you get traction, then you could start doing a price round, which is you're valuing yourself. Um, and then all the, the investors on a safe convert over. That's the proper way of doing it. Yeah, so you're, you're kicking the valuation down the road. And something that I've seen um, uh, that, that I, I you know, was not expecting to ever see, because this is a, you know, so it's, it's, it's obviously a big concern when you're starting. Um, you, can, you, can, you can sort of always renegotiate things. And I didn't realize how, how often that happens with the, with the earlier investors. I know a lot of people that have just, uh, and, and I'm doing this myself. I've, at one point, I gave up a lot more of my company, but now I'm, I'm back to owning 94% of it because we're, we're doing really well and, I'm, and I made somebody a good enough deal that I'm paying them back. You know, so I bought the equity back so that I'm in a way better position to go raise at a higher round. And, um, and, and then, you, again, you can play with valuations to move faster or, or move slower. Um, and, and definitely, you know, I, I have to agree, if, 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 you know, a convertible note or a safe, in case anybody, like, hasn't looked at that before, what it means is you're taking a loan from somebody, but there's terms where that loan turns into equity um, based off a number of different scenarios that could happen. Maybe you're gonna raise money uh, within two years. It, you're, let's say you raise a minimum of, mi of a million, it's gonna convert um, that, that person's loan that they have on the company will automatically convert. So those people think, like, it's, it's a loan, but those people think of it like it's an investment, especially if there's, especially if there's always some kind of automatic conversion. So there's a lot of ways to, to, to skin that cat, so to speak, um, but, um, but it's really, really important to... And, and the best thing is it's not debt. So yeah. they don't actually own anything. It, it's fantastic for, for entrepreneurs. It's not so great for investors. Uh, and the other nice thing is that uh, their safes are basically standard. There's like one blank that you fill in other than the person's name. And so you, you just Google Canadian safe. There's an American version, Canadian version, and that's what you use. Right, and it's super simple. And if you get investors that are like dicking you around and like, well, I want some warrants or I want this and that, it's like, no. Right, and you walk away. Yeah. You use the standard form. You will save so much headaches because you're basically building a base. Your company is like a house and you're building it from the ground up. You do not want to screw up the base. This is your base. You bring in, a, asshole VC, investor, whatever, uh, or the terms are bad, that will just get compounded. The next round, the next investors that come in are gonna look at your previous round and they're gonna look at the people that you brought in. So if you bring in, I don't know, mafia or whatever, dickheads, uh, they're gonna look at that and go, well, I'm not like that. I'm a nice guy. Why should I be like hanging out with that guy? Right or yeah. they're going like, to look. There'll at your be terms. a background check potentially on everyone that's invested in your company. Oh, oh yeah, and you as well. Of course. Yeah, uh, yeah. And so the terms too are interesting because if you give out really bad terms, the next set of investors are going to want those terms or even maybe worse. So you you have to be like crushing it to like change that trajectory. So be very very careful at the beginning. Wow. Okay. Very. Insightful. All right. Um, we'll take two, three more questions. Russ, don't you have a question? Oh, 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 oh that sounds ominous. 
<laughs> Hi, I'm Alex. Uh, great panel. Um, my high-level takeaway so far is when you're in the angel round, it's all about who you are as people, the problem you're solve, trying to solve, and driving excitement further. And then from the once you start getting deeper into the investor round, it's more about how are you actually executing on this and the traction. That's kind of like a binary that I'm seeing. Not a binary, but like that's the continuum I'm seeing. Um, I'm just wondering, before you start asking money from people, what's kind of like the minimum checklist that you should go to someone with? Like you mentioned an MVP. You guys built an MVP that you could show someone, I don't know if it was a prototype, if it was actually working, something that you could actually um, operationalize. Or like, I'm, I'm wondering if you guys had like a, a checklist, like before you go talk to anyone, have these things tight besides your story. Yeah, for, for our MVP, it was just slightly better than an Envision product, uh, which means that you can click on stuff and it looks like it's doing something, but it doesn't actually. Uh, but we felt like we needed that uh, in order to secure uh, our round, and I think we did. Uh, probably would have been smart, you know, looking back, to go and try to raise without it. Yep. Uh, yeah, so the advice that I give to people, I may or may not follow it, but the advice is don't build anything, don't build a prototype, build a PowerPoint, build an Excel spreadsheet with your calculation, whatever, right? You look at uh, Wealth Simple with Mike Hatchin, his first product was him and Excel, right? So he built a, an Excel spreadsheet. Um, and then he proved it to his customers and charged them and then uh, automated it and hired and raised a ton of money, obviously. Um, so try not to spend a lot of time building stuff because whatever you build is just gonna be thrown out and it may not be what the actual customer wants. Uh, and so if you can visualize it in something that, like a PowerPoint or what you said, Envision? Envision. I don't know. Uh, that works really well. But I think you will need some, some visual form because you can't really describe something that maybe doesn't exist because you're building something brand new. Um, and a lot of investors aren't as smart or as knowledgeable as you are with the problem. Yeah, I was gonna. Yeah, you, you're, you've lost your mic privileges. Um, so, um, I I didn't raise. This wasn't me raising money for my company, but I was the director of product for um, for this company. And what I saw. This was back in 2011, and I, I, I never thought I would see anything like this. But because these guys were older and experienced, and they had relationships and a lot of credibility behind them, um, people were just going to give them money no matter what. So we literally raised $3 million on a like $35 million valuation from a slide deck and uh, from like like some of the biggest funds in, in Canada. And I was just like, wow. Like, but you know, I wouldn't have been able to do that, but that was because like I did the actual slide deck in the presentation, but it was their relationships, you know? So, um, so yeah. So. Well, not those particular ones, but they had they had a track record. Yeah, yeah. I think that point raises one thing that I, I want to make sure everybody understands. I mentioned that raising money is not scientific at all. Um, it's actually about all about FOMO, fear of missing out, and that's the trigger that you're uh, trying to push. You're trying to find that the way to poke someone into feeling like they're going to miss out on the next 
Uber or Google or whatever you're pushing. Um, and that is, I would say, 90% of the tactics that I personally use when I raise money. Um, secret yeah, I'd agree. Um, like we set timelines, uh, we go in with confidence, uh, and people are either in or out. And it'll, say, it'll save you time, and, and more than likely, uh, they're inclined to be a part of it. Yeah, and it's not like who I am. Like, I obviously don't have relationships this way. Like, it's like, hey, I'm going to have drinks tonight. Like, if you're not going to tell me right now, I'm going to go and find someone else. Like, that's not the way you, you have real relationships. But it, with a VC, you're acting very, very differently. Uh, and when you're in that zone, again, you're like throwing off the entire company, and you're just thinking about raising. That's what, how you think. You're basically a douchebag uh, trying to find these these places to poke uh, these VCs and to, to get them to think that they're about to lose the biggest deal it's that they've seen. It's to their advantage to wait. Yeah, like and it's every, not your every advantage month, to wait. Every, exactly. All right, okay, so FOMO, basically, <laughs> when you get in there. All right, um, one more question here. Yeah. Hi, thank you, my name is Richard. I want to know a little bit about what you said about the risks of taking money. Um, I've got customers already all over the world. We're doing a round initially. I just don't know what to, what, what are my risks of, of taking money? Uh, you're, you're basically selling a portion of your company uh, in exchange for some cash. Um, and in exchange for that cash, you're also agreeing to do something, which is to spend that money to grow your company. Uh, depending on what the terms are uh, of your agreement to take that cash on, um, you're likely giving up a piece of control. Um, it probably means that you have like an you'll end up with an official board uh, and some additional oversight that you didn't have before. For instance, that, that would be probably where I'd start based on the scenario that you just painted. Uh, there's, it's like having another partner that you've, that you've got to keep happy. Yeah, and at first it may be okay, right? So let's say you're giving 25%, right? That's your first round. You know, you go out. Um, hopefully, you make your milestones and you say double the valuation of your company. You go out and raise some more money. You're going to get another dilution. But this time, even though it's 25%, you're really lowering it by 12 and a half, right? So the the math works in your favor until you're not growing uh, as fast, right? And then, if you do say, I, I always laugh when I see like startups that are doing like a Series B kind of thing. It's like, oh, poor entrepreneur. They probably own especially like in a co-founder situation, they probably own like 5% by now. So is 5% of the company worth it to you to stay in it? Which goes back actually to the conversation that you have to have with your VCs, your investors, because they have to be on the same wavelength as you. Because if you're unaligned, then it's a really bad scenario. But the first round is just the, like you're sticking your toe in. The water's awesome. You're gonna want more, and then you stick your whole foot in, right? And then by the time that you like, you're deeply bathed in the awesome warm water, you own a couple of points of your company that you used to run by yourself and have 100% um, control. So there's definitely risks. All right, one last question before uh, we end this.
CFO, CTO? You don't need a CFO unless you're a fintech company, maybe. Uh, the thing that you don't have, other than time, none of us have time. Your biggest competitor is time. It doesn't matter what you do. Like live. <laughs> we, all, we all have limited time. Um, but the other thing that you don't have a lot of is money. So why waste it, right? You really have to be incredibly uh, diligent about who you hire and how much and all of that right at the beginning. Because that is when you die because you run out of money. That's the number one reason why companies fail. The only reason that the companies fail, they yeah. run out of money. Um, and so who do you need to get to your next milestone? What's your next milestone? You need to build a prototype, you need to get, need, maybe need, get some traction with your PowerPoint. You don't need in, uh, engineers, right? So it depends. Uh, but you're always thinking about what's my next step, right? What did I tell my investors, my last investors, that I need to do? Oh, in 18 months, I'm going to be at 10K MRR. So how do I get there? Do I need to build a better product or sales? And I think you have to be very frugal about growing the team too fast. As entrepreneurs, we're always like, that we're farther ahead than we really are. And it's like, you know what, I'm crushing it. I'm making like $10 a month. Woo, I need to hire That's amazing, by the way, for a startup, yeah. making $10 a month. Yeah. Again, the, the unit economics works really well when you have like 10 people on staff and stuff. Um, a that's a joke. A <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, don't get ahead of yourselves. Uh, I was at a startup where uh, we scaled up way too fast, and uh, we just weren't there. Right, and then you have to scale back down, and that's really, really painful. Sure is. And you lost a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, it's another quick question. So you know the evaluation component, right? How do you get to that number? Uh, uh, you don't. So you like, do a let's safe. Say, let's say uh, you're at a stage where you have monthly revenue, right? So right now I'm at stage. I'm at a pivot point right now. So do they take that monthly and then they extrapolate, and then is that only good for a year? So again, you obfuscate the whole thing and you try not to go there because that's bullshit, right? So it's like, oh, I'm gonna take your trailing 12-month revenue. No, that's not your valuation. That's what like uh, a Subway dealership would do. You're not selling sandwiches, right? So you're pre-revenue until you're doing like a million dollars a year. Okay, so anything under a million dollars. Whatever, insignificant. As soon as you say that you have revenue, they're going to try and put a multiple on it. An industry average. Yeah, you want to be pre-revenue. Like, yeah. So what, I just bump all the expenses up so it's like then? No, it doesn't matter. Like, so you just don't focus on the revenue. Yeah, it's insignificant. Yeah, no, it was more to see whether the idea would take, right? Yeah, so what you did was some really good testing. Um, it's produced a thesis for you. Uh, and perhaps what you want to use the money for is to validate that at a, at a larger scale. You know, before you you are generating like I don't know, pick a number, ten million a year, you're experimenting. Startups are about experimenting, right? Let's say you're doing a million dollars a year, you're failing because you, you haven't hit that magic number. So you need to experiment. We're all in the same category. Like, you know, as soon as you hit 
Um, as soon as your, what is it called, sausage making factory is working properly, your sales uh, processes are working, then you can hit it out of the ballpark, if you will. A lot of analogies there. But until then, sausage. like you're just experimenting. So whatever revenue you get, insignificant. Do not quote me on that revenue. It's an experiment. We're just testing and validating. And, yeah. and that revenue is just telling us. As, know, as soon as you doing. tell a VC that you have uh, revenue, they are, like they, that is a hole that you won't be able to get out of. Pre-revenue. It's like Google with their, their products, beta. They're in beta for like five years until they killed them. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, that that's actually very insightful, and I never heard any. I've never thought of that before. Uh, well, I've, I've personally have learned a lot from this from this guys. I really appreciate it. We're gonna wrap it up now, and uh, and but please feel free to finish off the pizza and the drinks, and we're gonna turn the music on and network and schmooze, and and I just want to thank everybody for coming. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks to, the, to, to you guys for, for giving us some great insights. Thanks to Margie for putting this all together for us. And, and that's it.
and rejoice and see the lie revealed. This is your destiny mission, but first the thought and last indeed. So stop living the lie, this world ain't what it seems. I feel the basic million systematically taken. I picture grown men shaking, cracking the whip, the bones breaking. Oh, cry, cause your father he hides, and in the darkness of night, you better look to the sky. We need some spiritual wisdom, I like a broken man, he needs his drugs. Searching, always yearning, learning, I like a love, but she needs love. We've got to take the power back, it's time to attack, but it's the sad fact that you can't until you've made up your mind that you've had enough Now the situation's critical Stuck in the middle of the hypocritical Physical need a miracle Hiding that we're dying inside Blind to this culture be selling us lies Blind to this culture be selling us lies